Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Joseph Goodman of Goodman Games, and apparently we are on the internet. So nice to meet you, people I can't see. This is our What's New with Goodman Games seminar. I'm going to give you the usual rundown of projects in motion, um, a couple new things, talk about some of the stuff the authors are working on, let them talk about some of the stuff they're working on. Um, and talk about some art that I didn't bring with me, but I'll describe it really well. <laughs> you can go see it at Doug's booth. So uh, to start with, I'm going to give a little bit of an update on some recent things. Um, as soon as my phone orients itself. So I think most of you guys know this, but DCC Lankmar is shipping now. Um, if you haven't gotten it already, it'll probably arrive while you're here at Gen Con. The, the main box that has shipped out, the print packs will follow. Um, and if you want to see it, you can check it out here at the show. Um, the DCC annual... We had some express shipped to the show, but aside from those, the rest are about a month out from now, but they'll ship in about a month when we get them. Um, and then Cthulhu Alphabet is at the printer. I'm going to soon post one of those Kickstarter updates that's like, no news is good news, because there's no news, but it's at the printer slowly working its way through, and we'll get to you guys uh, in a couple months. Um, and then I'm going to give you a quick update on the Judges Guild volume. As you guys know, we have that giant book, which is the collector's edition, um, which is a really cool format and accommodates the page size of the Judges Guild journal from back in the day. Volume 2 is, uh, the contents of Volume 2 are finally complete. So that's the Janelle Jackways edition. And we had to scan a lot of things. And especially scanning that old newsprint is extremely challenging. The person who does it has to sort of reconstruct the entire page. Um, but he's done with the first pass. So I'm going to give you the list of what's going to be in the table of contents. We're going to actually start layouts soon now that we have all the scans done. Um, but the, the book will include the Book of Treasure Maps, The Caverns of Thracia, Dark Tower, and then the first six issues of Dungeoneer. What's particularly neat about that is uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of people have seen the Dungeoneer compilation that was done at a later date by Judges Guild, but very few people have seen the actual original zines. Um, and Janelle Jackways actually has like two copies of each of the original ones that she published way back then. So we got a hold of those and scanned those, and they're really cool. Um, she also has a ton of additional material in terms of old photographs, old you know, high school sketches, old art books, all this stuff. So we're kind of sifting through a huge pile of interesting stuff from memorabilia from the Judges Guild era that'll eventually go in there as well. Um, and then some more issues of Judges Guild Journal. Uh, we'll have issue number 12 slash U, because they used to do that, um, which is the one that shipped the Dark Tower. We'll have issue number 14 slash W, which is the one that shipped with Book of Treasure Maps. And then we'll have uh, Dungeoneer number 12, not to be confused with Judges Guild Journal number 12, which shipped with Cameron's of Croatia. <laughs> And then another just really cool issue, which was issue M of the Judges Guild Journal, um, which is just one I like. Um, and then the, the other thing that was unearthed is Bob Budside Jr. managed to find a bunch of old distributor. Uh, you know, we often give things to distributors to convince them to buy stuff and sell it to retailers. He found a bunch of old distributor sales sheets that had Jackways aren't on it that was never seen by consumers because it was only distributed to the trade. So we're going to have some scans of that as well. So it's a lot of cool stuff. So we're finally moving into the layout stage, and uh, you guys will get some more updates on that soon, but it's coming along. Um, and I was going to talk a little bit about Empire of the East, uh, which is this cover right here. We talked to Gary Kahn about how we have a license from the estate of Fred Saberhagen for his three-volume series of Empire of the East, which is, um, you know, post-apocalyptic, intelligent nuclear warheads, crazy radiation cloud demons. Like, it's a really cool setting that involves a giant tank as well. But one thing, and this is the art by Ian Miller, which is phenomenal. I, I've been a fan of his art for decades. Um, one of the things we'll be doing going forward is some of these supplements will be produced for DCC and then also there will be a 5e edition which isn't necessarily the same material because 5e is to a certain extent more receptive to you know stats for new monsters or new items or things like that so I'm going to show you the cover to the 5e edition too so when we finally do a kickstarter on this there'll be two versions so this is uh, by David Griffith 
which will have a different look than the DCC edition. This will be obviously in more digital in keeping with, the, with what we've done for the, some of the 5e products. Um, anyway, those of you who have read the story will recognize a lot of the imagery there, but uh, it's by Jason Bay, and the 5e edition will go sort of side by side in the launch of the DCC edition. Um, and it is a cool idea to publish for both editions. I mean, I think 5e, to a certain extent, captures a lot of the respect for the old school that we also attempt to do in DCC, and I think they're pretty compatible in a lot of ways. Um, so then I wanted to give you a quick update on uh, X-Crawl Classics. Where's the man with the green hair? Uh, there he is. <laughs> do you want to come up and just give a quick update on how sure. things are going? Hi, everybody. Hi, Brandon. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. Um, so um, X-Crawl has been in the like, you know, 95% done stage for quite a while. Um, it's been there and it's sort of like remained there because other works come up that uh, both Joseph needed me to do and that I really wanted to do. Um, and because um, it's going to be a while until it can get into the larger publication schedule. So as long as I can hang on to that and keep play testing it and coming up with new stuff, I am going to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, and, yeah, I, you know, since I sort of, like, put it into it's getting done mode, I've actually written three other adventures since then, moved to Georgia, you know, done a couple other interesting things. So, um, it's, you know, um, like I said, if, if Joe put a gun in my head and said it has to be done in two weeks, it would be done in ten days. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's at that stage of, uh, of getting it done. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. If you guys are, if anyone's um, playing um, Swack Iron, Swack Iron Murder Queen this weekend, that is all with the, uh, that is all with the, um, uh, the, uh, the new character classes. Wait, say that again slower. What was the name of that module again? Swack Iron Murder Queen. I know exactly what that's about based on the title. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to tell them though, in case they didn't understand? <laughs> sure. Um, oh gosh, it's complicated. So um, it is the. <laughs> It is the return of a classic X-Crawl villain who has who takes over another person's dungeon in a virtual setting um, and uh, dubs herself in this new reality that she is now sort of like taking control of as the Swack Iron Murder Queen. Um, and the name came from a... Um, I saw a list of science fiction movie titles as written by uh, a uh, neural network and I was scanning through them and that wasn't one of them was close to that, but it was close enough that it made me think of um, Swack Iron. Uh, there's a if anyone follows Knights at the Dinner Table, I'm a huge fan, and um, one of the creatures in there is the um, uh, Swack Iron Dragon, is out of that and such. So it was close enough. It was weird. It was like the ship iron or ship metal or something like that murder queen and i was like that's nah, not quite a swack iron murder queen just thinking of that sort of like captured my imagination and sort of became like the star that i sailed this entire adventure by you know um you know the idea that like because you know at least in um the history of uh knights of the dinner table it's the thing that shows up and murders everybody and then just leaves devastation in its wake so that is where that came from um but I also just like a good phrase, and I thought that was a good one. So, um, and I, I think sometimes making a thing that sounds really good is as important as any other thing. So that is where it comes from. So what? But uh, that's using all of the new um, extra character classes. Um, there's a gnome class in there, which is of course going to be Joe's new favorite. <laughs> gnome, you know, reluctant gnome lover here. He won't talk about it, but he loves the gnome class. Gnome characters. <laughs> um, uh, it's going to have uh, half orcs. It's going to have um, half elves. 
Um, and then it's got the original classes um, all from the um, earlier iterations of X-Crawl. So it's going to have athletes, brawlers, blasters, specialists, uh, messengers, and and the one that I can't think of. <laughs> I can't think of it. Um, but they're in there, I promise. Oh, jammers. Of course, you got to have jammers. Goodness gracious. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's you know... It's done enough where I feel like I could play a campaign to almost any level with it at this point. I keep thinking of new spells and new things I want to change and things I want to do, and I'm going to keep doing that for absolutely as long as I can. So until I get the green light, I'm going to keep tinkering with it. I'm going to keep play I have a, a huge playtest group. I've got like, I don't even know, like six playtest groups that are act actively sending me things at this point. So I'm going to keep tinkering with it because I really, you know, X-Crawl has been my baby since my home campaign that I started in... 1999, wow. um, and uh, I ran it for a long time, never thinking, "Hey, someday I'll be a game designer and publish this." It was just something to amuse me and my friends that we just that kind of grew and grew and grew until I thought, "Oh, you know, I could." So I pitched it to Panda Head, who said, "Yes, we can do it." And then they said, "Hey, can you get us 90,000 words in seven weeks?" And I nearly cried. Just <laughs> close. But we'll we continue got, that tradition. Yes. We will. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get it done. So that's where it's at right now, and I'm really trying to make it just the absolute best thing that it can be. X-Crawl is weird. A lot of you will not like it. But I think some people will be able to take bits from it that they really enjoy. <laughs> oh, they're all going to like it. <laughs> it's a universal thing. Everyone's going to fall in love. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and will become a part of you. So... And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Brendan. So, X-Crawl Classics coming soon to a store near you. Um, now, I wanted to invite some people up here to talk about DCC Dying Earth. So, Julian, Mark, Terry, and where's Bob? Hey, come on up. <laughs> So you guys may have heard of a guy named Jack Vance, who wrote a couple novels called the Dying Earth series. Um, Mark was talking at uh, GaryCon about DCC Dying Earth. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but these are the guys, <laughs> the main guys working on this project. Yeah. Um, and I wanted them to come up and just talk about this cool project they're working on. So I was going to you know, ask you guys some completely unrehearsed questions you've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can make a spontaneous answer. <laughs> but you guys feel free to ask questions and we'll go from there. So, uh, um, well, why don't we just pick Julian for this one? How is DCC Dying Earth different from regular DCC? Uh, the good news is Dying Earth is going to be 100% compatible with your regular DCC game. So, uh, so you can play and mix and match and use it modularly and stuff like that. The biggest, uh, I think by far the biggest pieces that are really different are the classes. So we got, and, and DCC is kind of a class-based game, as most of you probably know. So... Uh, the big rule changes are four new classes. There's the magician, who's the Rialto, uh, you know, high-powered, crazy magician, fancy and magic guy. There's the bat thing, uh, like the bat creatures in the Dying Earth short stories. I can never remember the name with it that starts with the T. The a detergent in the in the, the stories. Of the yeah. Dying so the bat thing, of course. Oh, just Sias and Sias yeah. and um, yes. And then there's uh, the witch, also from the Dying Earth novel. And then, of course, my personal favorite, the Wayfarer. Yeah. And you know who that is. That's our roguish Google friend. So, um, so those four classes are brand new, and um, the, the, a lot of the core mechanics and the rules of the Dying Earth are in, embedded in those classes: the fancy magic, uh, 
the the crazy luck rules around the Wayfair that sort of mimic the crazy turns of fortune that Kubel would have in the books. Um, the witch has a lot of sort of semi-clerical stuff and curses and wizardry and demonic packs and all that good stuff. And then the Vat Thing is a, is a really interesting character that kind of depends on their patron, has three different templates, uh, can, is very flexible, can do a lot of things. Uh, and I think they're all casters as well, if I recall. Yeah. Right? And they all, Wayfarer they all, to a limited extent. Yes, yeah, it's a very magic-focused class system. Yes. It's, it's odd because it feels, I think it will feel gritty for people, but it, at the same time, there's a lot of magic in it. Uh, and there's also, you can also play, I believe, Wizard, Warrior, and Thief. Uh, well, with you, some... Yeah, because, I mean, we wanted to make sure that you could port it just like, you know, any Lang like Langmar, for example. You can play it as straight UCC, your characters get transported there, you're suddenly in the Dying Earth. Well, you need to have some way of you know, adjudicating at how that would work. So we did include rules for, you know, those classes, but they're, they're also, those are eternal templates, you know, in terms sure. of you know, what, what those character classes represent. So they, they're present in the Dying Earth as well if you want to mix and match them. Absolutely. So there's the classes, a lot of the core, you know, the biggest changes are there, but of course there's 30-some spells. I think 36 at the last count. It's a huge <laughs> amount of new and then, spells. And then a dozen or so new patron spells. So, yes. Yeah. You have several new patrons of 30-plus new spells. And all crazy, crazy monsters that are not D and D template copies, but rather actual stuff that came out of Jack Vance's brain, and you know that you've never, that really nobody has ever seen before. We so it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they came out of his brain on the page <laughs> to some degree. Well, you guys touched on something that's kind of important when you play DCC. What we want is for each uh, quote campaign setting or you know appendix in setting to be fully compatible with everyone, which means if you played a true Lankmar adventure or a true Dying Earth adventure, you're not necessarily going to be able to, um, you know, represent a traditional wizard or cleric. So the rules will allow you to have those traditional DCC or D&D-ish classes in there, but you can also use the tools inside the book to play a, a straight-up uh, Dying Earth campaign yeah. using these classes if you chose to roll just those kinds of characters and exclude the traditional ones. But it'll work either way, because hopefully your guys are plopping all over the plains and going from one place to the other and visiting different worlds and true appendix and tradition. And there's one other thing that's different, which is the grudge token. To try to mimic the kind of skullduggery and quick turns of fortune and shifting alliances, there is a mechanic that actually, uh, sort of like fleeting luck, but in reverse, when bad stuff happens to you, you get a token and you can mess with other people's success. <laughs> and uh, and I, I like that. It's not going to be for every. Table. It's an optional rule as well. It is an optional yeah, rule, but it's a bit. It really is. Sketches I'm looking at. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for every table. God help us. But but uh, it is a. It is really it builds up that atmosphere and the the Vancey and um, double crossing and legalities and all that skullduggery that happens in the books. That's awesome. So one of the things Vance is known for is his crazy vocabulary. Like, I remember reading Dying Earth, and I, I usually write as I'm, if I read a book, I write on the inside cover the words I don't know, you know, and then I either look them up then or whatever, I get to a dictionary. And usually I got two or three words, maybe four, in any book I, 
you know, I read, but when I read him, I mean, it was like two columns of words that I had to look up. I learned so many words from him. Then you also discover that a certain number, are, he just made them up. <laughs> they don't appear anywhere. Then most of them are actual words. Um, so Bob, maybe tell you, tell me how you guys brought that to life, as well as a sense of humor and oh, some of the other fun qualities. I, I think we started writing. by burning it to the source and snorting it. But <laughs> <laughs> it it's, it's so strange because there's, there's a lot of, of florid language, there's, there's a lot of archaic language, and you can, you can draw from that, you can look at that. And you can you can get the meanings, you can find the meanings, and then there's the vancisms. Yeah. And if you're, you know, when I, I'd sit down and I'd look at, I'm like, said polio, okay, um, it's not a disease. Where are we going to go from here? And you start looking through, like, archaic English dictionaries that are going back to like Middle English, and all of a sudden you're finding the root words. You're like, wait a minute, this, okay, this sort of makes sense now, and it, it was just it was really fun to deep dive in. As you're going, and then you're like, okay, but I can't write an entire manuscript like this because that'd just be wrong. And, and it was it was just, you have to be passionate about kind of digging through the language, finding what you want to use. And Mark gave us a great tool to start with. He's like, here's words, here's their meanings, use five. And, <laughs> and go through, and it just... <clears throat> It's it's almost fun in and of itself as you're as you're playing with the language, because the tone of the language sets the tone of the adventure, and so if you're if you're doing something in going from a, a small town out into the wastes, well, it's not just a small town out in the wastes. It's dull. You start you start pulling those archaic terms, and all of a sudden it's just this phenomenal journey, and it's just about word choice, and that's. That's what made Vance so great to read. It's you know, the, the stories are wonderful, but his word choices made them exceptional. And with, with Mark's help, I think we've done the same thing. Yeah, and I, I think that's, it, we didn't really want to recreate Vance. I mean, that was not we're not trying to yeah. become Vance, but we do want to honor, you know, essentially a key part of people's experience with Vance, which is the rich vocabulary and just being able to. Um, place that appropriately within the text. And so that was kind of our format and our guideline is to really try to make sure that, you know, we, we did um, bring that light humor because a lot, I mean, a lot of that language is, is playful. A lot of it is, you know, to use a humorous effect. And um, I did what you did, Joseph. I, when I started my list, I, I created a spreadsheet with 400 words that, you know, I, that were new to me. And then I went to the OED and then I looked up the roots of all the words and then I looked, marked the ones that were advancisms. And then I, I, I ranked them by, how many, how, how popular they were out of, you know, one out of a million uses in the last, you know, 40 years. <laughs> and then I handed that off to the author, you know, just try, try to say, this is, you know, these are the things that we can start pulling from, you know, get familiar with these because this will help you as you write. And they may not be something I want, you want to directly take in place. It may be just that you soak into your brain and, you know, you, you, it comes up later and it, and it becomes a part of your process. So that, and that, that actually is kind of a, a fun thing that will include part of that dictionary in the um, as part of the the box set because as people go through it might be kind of fun for them to sort of you know look at this as a as a template but also for their own games you know it's, it's just kind of a fun thing that they can inherit and if they're running a DCC dying earth game or if they're not because it's always kind of fun to challenge players with you know the new and that's 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 part of the fun of what we do and it's not a vocabulary exercise you know it's, no. it's <laughs> uh, I mean these these spells these monsters uh, everything was written with the intent of being entertaining to yes. read. Right, everything we were trying to, you know, oftentimes we would try to get chuckles out of one another with phrases or 
you know, every spell block, you're going to want to take a look and, and, and just see, <laughs> see what, what kind, what kind of nonsense is, never is, been such fun. Is, is in there. You know, I mean, seriously, it's not, it's not just about the gaming material. We really were trying to sort of evoke that feeling of, of fun when you're reading the, the stuff. And a lot of it was like just taking a phrase that's in dance or a name and just coming up with what our imaginations could lead to. And, and, and it really was a lot of team you know, consensus and building and sort of, I, here's what I came up with, here's what I came up with, let's, oh man, this is, this is great, I can you know, sort of you know, shape and direct what I'm doing. And so really working with these guys has been, been fabulous just because you know, I, I don't think we could have gotten, we, we couldn't gotten as near as, uh, as much done as if we hadn't been together as a team on this. So it's, well, and, and taking a single phrase like "May Kron hold your living brain in acid," and saying, "Okay, make him a patron," <laughs> <laughs> give him three spells and curses, yeah. and you you just get to expand on all that, and it's it's really neat to see the way it grew kind of organically, and and it was just fun. Yeah. It's just twisted and fun. <laughs> And Vance is known for, I mean, you've all heard the phrase Vancey and magic, right? There's a lot of people who toss that phrase around on the internet without ever having actually read Jack Vance. But Jack Vance, in many ways, did sort of create a magical framework, or I guess a framework for magic that made its way into D&D as Gary Gagax adapted it. And I remember when I first read it, you know, you read it and you see the spell prismatic spray. Literally the exact same verbiage that it used in, in D&D. And you realize, you know, Gagax, in some ways, just kind of lifted this, you know, when you see... I don't even know how, I say ion stones, I don't know how you guys say it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody says it different. But you see the ion stones, you know, which are like straight out of D&D, or reverse, D&D is straight out of, out of Vance. So one of the challenges here was for us to take really iconic D&D terms that actually aren't D&D terms, but Jack Vance terms, and turn them into DCC mechanisms. Um, so how'd you guys do that? How'd you think about how to convert those kinds of things? I think it's two part, because one is, we didn't want to recreate DCC or D&D, right? Because it, DCC covers a lot of the basics, you know, the things yeah. that, the magic missiles, the, you know, the, the color spray, the things that, that are really the Vance, you know, source. So we had to, you know, differentiate what we were doing, but use the context of both, you know, what the spell's abilities are as they're described in Vance. So dig a little deeper to say, okay, that's interesting. He describes it in this way, but we could interpret it, you know, in, in such and such fashion so that there is a distinguishing characteristic about it. And we didn't want anything to just be the same but slightly different. So we really tried to go wild in terms of, you know, the, the, what those spells do based on the context, but also based on the name and our imaginations. And so everything you're going to find in there is not a repeat of an existing spell. And in those that we couldn't, that hew too closely, um, we didn't adapt those. So a lot of it is based on the fact that most of these are name spells. You know, they have, you know, some, you know, almost like the the spells that are named in the DCC book, you know, certain, like, Ekans Mythical Mask. So we try to inherit the fact that these are people that are spending a lot of time creating their own personal view of magic, their own personal evocations of magic. And what does that mean? You know, oh, who is this guy? You know, what, what is his history? You know, let's create a little backstory for him that's based on, you know, what little context there is in the book. And that's what the spell sort of evolves out of. And so a lot of it's kind of coming up with these back, backstories and evoking that through magic because this magic is so personalized. And a lot about the Vancean world is, you know, the jealousy and the and the, the fact that these are everybody's rivals with each other and guarding their magic, you know, you know, jealously. 
And, and what does that mean? Well, that means a lot of the magic is maybe secreted off someplace and you don't know exactly what this wizard's doing, but he's got a spell named after him. That's pretty cool. So how do we get that, you know, and, and make it unique? So we, that's where we kind of started from and tried to let our, leave ourselves from there. But one of the things, you know, like reading, like thinking of the, the items, like let's take Ayun or Ayun Stones, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when you when you read through uh, Rialto the Marvelous and you get to the the stuff with Marion and and how the how those stones are behaving, you realize that um, that A D and D just really kind of missed out on on what was possible with those items, and it's. I won't even say they read the Cliff Notes version. I mean, they read the they read the 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 one sentence summary of, of what those items were, you know. And in in the Vance, their uh, their brain eggs of fire folk that used to exist in stars. And when the stars have died and become dwarfs, there's this race that goes and harvests out the brain eggs. And these brain eggs are are craving for for memories and experience, right? And so when, when people get these stones, these, these stones take these memories from them. And, and in the game, they behave the same way. You know, so it's not just something that's going to give you a bonus. You have to imbue the stone with your intelligence and a memory that you're going to lose. And, and that memory determines the stone's color. It determines its power. Um, it determines even its orbit around you is, is what you've given it. And uh, the stones are plenty powerful. They're not, oh, plus one to my AC. You know, they, they do a whole, a whole lot. You can bank spell burn in them. They can, uh, they can absorb incoming spells. They have all these different abilities that's uh, really fun. And they can also be stolen, you know, which makes a great thing for judges. You know, if your PC, you know, has an iron stone that someone's abusing, uh, it can get stolen. And that's a lot of fun. And there's even rules for how to make that happen. So, uh, yeah, so the items are, are pretty exciting. That's awesome. Cool. Um, so maybe, guys, start with Bob. Tell me what's your favorite thing about, you know, DCC Diner, like the project itself. What was your favorite piece? Well, I think my favorite piece was uh, the aforementioned Zimpolio. You know, it's, it's a throwaway named card game that is mentioned maybe twice and... We wanted people to be able to figure out how to play it, and so we created rules for Zimpolio, and it, it's it's Stratego meets poker meets war with a tarot deck. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's playable, and and of course, in the books there's an advanced version. So being able to, to pull all these little snippets, all these all these tiny passages, and and breathe them, breathe life into them, where. It was just it, Vance would Vance Vance was never really big on going into long backstory or huge explanations. He just hang something out there and let it go on its own. And it was really nice to have an opportunity to take that and use the framework that we were given with DCC and with the work that Mark had put together for us and build on that further and see that world really kind of snap into focus. That's cool. You, you know, I, I think um, it's really, for me, it's the classes because the if you're using those four core classes, you're in an Appendix N world, and but it's completely unlike a Robert Howard or Fritz Leiber or anything like that. It's a totally distinct, even if you did a total homebrew thing, 
it's all these starting assumptions and everything involved in that are completely different. And I, I really, uh, I, I just really dig the different assumptions, the way magicians work, the way Kugel's luck mechanic is roguelike and stuff like that, but completely unlike the thief luck mechanic uh, that we're all familiar with. Um, and the way the VAP things are built around the patrons uh, in a way that, unlike the elf, is built around a patron. It's, it's just, uh, I, I think they're really fresh takes on um, the things we already like about DCC because they're already related in, in a built-in way. Cool. What about you, Terry? Uh, it's difficult to pick a favorite. Um, I mean, the item, you know, the item's really fun. Uh, you know, like the, the... What about the ion stones? Yeah, those are great too. <laughs> <laughs> they're not quite as cool as the ion stone. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, the the eyes of the overworld statted up are, are, are pretty hip. Um, but one thing, one thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing and reading and, and hearing about, uh, we talked about how the spells have history and how some of the spells got uh, personalized and names, right? And you can read about it in a spell's background. We, we codified a way for PCs to do that. So, for, so PCs can customize a spell and get their name on it, right? So, like, for example, we've all been stung by Magic Missile, right? You, spellburn, you got this horde of people, you spell by Spellburn Magic Missile, and you get result 24 to 27, which is just one big freaking missile, right? You have tw 10 different enemies, and you smatter the crap out of one of them, but you got nine left, and you had this huge magic missile roll. Well, you, ha you can modify that particular result, right? And we have rules and, and a way to change the spell. So just that 24 to 27 can be changed, and then it can be Shanna's magic missile rather than just magic missile. Right, and so it'll be interesting to see how people take pre-existing spells and modify them to their own yeah. devices, you know, and what comes out of that. And and there, we also build on that to create um, your own complete new spell. And you could always write your own spell, you know. In DCC, we always let people make their own spells, but but here is a sort of a consistent rule set to do it that sort of plays along with the history and the lore of all the other pre-existing spells. So I'm kind of excited to see where players take that. Yeah, that's awesome. What about you, Mark? Is this my favorite part of the project? Yeah. Can I say being done? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're supposed to say it's Doug's art. It's Doug's Doug's art. art. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's just working with this great team, and I mean, I, I I really truly mean, you know, it's been a, it's been an honor and a pleasure working with these guys. They, it's it wouldn't have been done without it, and. Um, getting to see uh, the playtests that we've done has been exceptional, especially the people's reactions. That you know, the, the playtests. DCC to Dying Earth is a much more. Um, it's it's meant to be a much more intimate game. You know, it's it's not because it, the stories are intimate. You know, they're they're often a single adventurer or they're just a group of magicians. But you know, seeing how the magician class plays out as a fifth level pre you know playtest, where it's you know just a, a, a you know three or four magicians getting together, it works. Great, and it makes it feel like the novels, you know. Just getting to see those kind of effectuated is just—it's been fun. Um, but I'm—I'm I'm glad that we're at a stage right now where the main manuscript is is finished. We're moving on in terms of you know. I have twelve thousand words of edits. I forgot to send. And and it's exciting that we are you know that it, we can see the you know the next steps in the in this big project, which will be you know obviously up to Joseph in terms of like you know how that how that plays out. But you know we've been living this for the last 18 months or so and um, you know wrapping it up last spring was has been 
it's been really nice, a good feeling. So I'm excited about what comes next. And uh, it's moving through the process. I think at GaryCon, Doug showed you the sort of early drafts of his art. Um, and he's been thinking a lot about how do you convey the dying earth, the, the tone of the books, as well as the, the visuals of the books, you know, the dying earth and so on. So once he has that done, um, it was red. It was a sun. So we'll show you a picture once he has it done. Better describe those pieces that aren't here really, really well. <laughs> uh, but it, we'll have that one, or he'll have that one done soon, and then we'll, we'll show you that, and then we'll work through the rest of the process, and eventually it'll come to a store near you. So, anything else you guys want to say to close out this episode of DCC Dying Earth Fireside Chat? No. Boss? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thank you all so much. Yeah, you guys done great. Thanks, you guys. Oh, Thank I you. got a question. Oh, so we have a question. So, uh, you know, yes, Lankmar, you know, Fleeting Luck is like the one mechanic that's probably going to migrate to a lot of regular DCC games. Is there a, a piece out of Dying Earth you guys can imagine? Yeah, I think some of it gets to, like, the spell creation stuff is really cool. You know, the fact that it's it's in line with that quest for it, but giving you guidelines and actual examples and, you know, place for players to start. Oftentimes, I think players need that little bit of a seed and say, oh, I can latch onto that and really do something with it. So I think things like the spell creation, the fact that, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really cool mechanic. I, I would say that I have my doubts that the grudge token is going to go to as widely spread, but, <laughs> but, you know, but it's also one of those kind of fun things, you know, that, that some team, some tables might like to do. And, it's, and you know, it's not just against other players, it's also against the judge. Yes. Right, so that makes yes. it a little bit more of a, a nice thing to, to have. Hold your grudges on, but you can, might, you can use it against a judge in that case. On the expansion on curses. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about curses, yeah. yeah it curses, they're, they're a small appendix in DCC book because in Men of Magicians, there's, there's the witches, witches use curses, and the Dying Earth has witches, witches also have curses. And building on those and, and in expanding on the levels that we had to work with from the DCC book and really giving players an option to use curses, they're, they're fun to use at the table because they're generally rhymed or sung, so, so there's that RP factor to it, which is really fresh and fun, but also some of the results are really creepy and they're really <laughs> tough to get rid of at higher levels. And you can you can hang something on you know the big bad in a campaign that's going to linger for months while you're trying to catch up or undo what he's doing before he can reverse that and come back. And I think I, I think that people are going to use curses more in DCC because we've expanded on them. Awesome. Any other questions? When are you going to take my money? <laughs> Couple months, <laughs> but you can leave a deposit here on the table. <laughs> Small on Mark Bills. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Good job. So next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about Lankmar. If Michael Curtis is in the audience. <laughs> Side, you're like, this and we've been calling him Manly Michael Curtis for quite some time. Yes, ever since Shutter Mountain. It was recently brought to my attention that his college nickname was Chainsaw. 
Oh. <laughs> you told me you wouldn't reveal that. I didn't reveal that. I said, you're no spooning for you tonight. And <laughs> 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 in April, I'm just kidding. Um, right, you can um, ask him about that later. Uh, would you mind if I spoke freely for a few moments before we get to the completely unscripted portion of the discussion? <laughs> All right. So, um, everybody, uh, you, knew, you know if you've been following DCC Lankmar for a little while, you know that I have been talking about it for a while. So you're probably sitting here saying, Curtis, will you please finally shut up about it? And so uh, I'm going to take that opportunity now to indulge myself before I kind of gently tiptoe off the stage and clear the, clear the, clear the boards for the new hotness which is coming. Empire of the East, Dying Earth, X-Crawl. So, um, it's actually very funny that we have DCC Lankmar here for sale for the first time, uh, because five years ago, five years ago, I think about this time, I don't remember if it was on a Friday or Saturday night, but it was after the, the vendors hall had closed, it was you, and it was me, and it was Harley, and Doug, and it was Brendan, and I think it was, I don't know if everybody else was there, but we went to the, some bar restaurant like west of here and we all sat down this is we hadn't even announced that we had the, the, li the length of our license at that point so it was just the five of us and we were sitting down and we just started brainstorming and like one of the things that came out of that discussion was, um, you know, at the start of every Lankmar adventure, the hero should be like, they should have like, they should just be completely broke, but have like all the luck in the world. And by the time that adventure is over, they should have like all the wealth in the world and just have no luck whatsoever. And that was kind of the, uh, that was kind of where fleeting luck came from. That was the basic of it. You know, that's, that's where that idea came from. And I was so excited to be part of, you know, the whole thing, you know, it's just like, okay, I was, you know, because I was still kind of the new guy at this point, you know, I mean, you know, Brendan and, and Harley and Doug and, you know, everybody had been around except for, I mean, this, I was, was a little post after Dungeon Alphabet, but still I was the new guy. So I, I figured, you know, Harley having Punjar, you know, experience and everything, I thought he was, he was going to lead writer. I was just happy to be like, just, I'll write anything, just, you know. So I got home and I started pulling, putting together like my PDFs, like old Dragon magazines of interviews of, you know, like the, the, the early story of childhood and Grey Mouser, a childhood Grey Mouser written by Harley Otto Fisher, and I pulled out a literary magazine that had a Fritz Lab, right? I scanned everything, and I put together this big PDF, and I sent everything around, and it's like, oh, this is, look, this is cool reference stuff, guys. And I'm like, wait, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and Joe was like, all right, you're going to be lead writer on this side, apparently. Because <laughs> so no good deed goes unpunished, pretty much. The, the curse of competence, we call it around here. Yes. Demonstrate you can do something once well, and then you will do it for the rest of your life. So, so, so now five years later, here we are at Gen Con, and we have it for sale. Uh, some of you backers, if you're lucky, it has arrived. Or if not, when you get home, uh, it will be waiting for you. You know, your wallets will be empty, but you know, you still have stuff wait coming for you from Gen Con. You've already paid for. Um, and uh, the PDFs, of course, went out. So this has been really the first con that a lot of people have been coming out to me saying, you know, wow, you know, you really knocked it out of the park. This is so great and everything. And I, of course, I'm very excited to hear that. You know, I'm. I'm but at the same time, I feel like I'm kind of a fraud because, you know, it, this is like, you know, they say that, you know, uh, success has many parents, but, you know, like if failure is an orphan, I was fully, you know, I was fully ready to be the, do it to, you know, if this, if it tanked, I was going to, you know, I was like, okay, this is on me. You know, I was willing to take all the blame for this. Luckily, that's not the case. All right. Luckily, there are a lot of people who are responsible for this. And though I have been the public face of it. I would like a few moments just to acknowledge some of those people here because this may be the last chance to do so. So, uh, as you know, uh, you know the whole kind of writing project, like the stories themselves, began with the written word. Uh, so I would like uh, Mr. Bob Brinkman, and I would like Mr. Terry Olson, and I would like Brendan LaSalle. Please stand.
they, they, in all their ways, have helped help expand, uh, bring Naewon into uh, into uh, DCC, and they have helped it bring up to you. Uh, there are some people who are not here at Gen Con. Uh, luckily, they're still with us, uh, you know, but they're just not here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, just, uh, so uh, those people, of course, are, are uh, Steve Bean, uh, Daniel J. Bishop, uh, Tim Callahan, and Edgar Johnson. So, you know, just want to give a shout out. To So, of course, once the words get put together, uh, there are people who have entirely different sets of talents. Or their job is to turn those words into a visual image, and uh, those people, and of course, being artists, I don't think any of them are currently here. So, yeah. Um, so, I would like, uh, so I don't see you. Who am I missing? All right. So, uh, so just a quick card. Uh, of course, uh, Brad McDevitt and Steve, uh, Stephen Pogue, uh, who have done uh, some, I think, there are times I think Brad, like, just in, he did the entire interior illustrations. Oh, the Brad did that one. Brad did one. Or of course, every time you open up a DCC, uh, you know, adventure module or something like that, Stefan's work is there, you know, waiting for you. Uh, so, very, uh, very, you know, thank, thanks, thanks, guys. In spirit, wherever you are, you know, if you see him at the booth, you know, it's all nice and good. And of course, also there was uh, Chris Arneson, uh, Steve Compton, uh, Tom Galambos, uh, of course, Janelle Jackways. Uh, Jill Janakwe is, is, was my first uh, introduction to Fafrin the Great Master because she, uh, she did the work of the deities and demigods, the illustration of them there, uh, and that was my kind of gateway into it. So it was a great, good, glad, good job getting her back in it. Right? <laughs> um, Jesse Moan and uh, Chad uh, Sergi Ketter. Sergi Ketter. Sergi Ketter, okay. Chad, sorry, but I want to get your name right. All right. Um, and then, of course, once they have kind of the interior words, of course, we have some awesome covers. And uh, again, Stefan Poe has, uh, has done work on there as well. Uh, Jeff Easley, some of you may know him. I think he's a real up-and-comer. I think he's going to go far. <laughs> uh, Ken Kelly, uh, William McAuslin, uh, San Julian, who's kind of like Madonna, I guess. He just has one name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, that, you know, they, I think um, there's, uh, there's also somebody who came in. Uh, now, at this point, it had been working for quite a long time. Um, you know, this was, I think, it had been four years, of the, and I was tired. I was, you know, like, I was, oh, my God, more like Mar and everything like that. So there was somebody who came along who was so enthusiastic about this whole thing. Someone I don't think really had a lot of exposure to the library before this all began, or a little bit, or, you know. But, um, but anyway, this person came along and was just, yes, library, you know, it's just like, this is Langmore, this is so awesome, you know, and everything. And I was just like, yeah, you know, you're right, this is awesome, this is, this is, this is fabulous, I am so lucky I'm doing this, what the hell, I'm, the, my old man body has been betraying me. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jen, uh, I would like you to remain sitting, please. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you are if you are able, will you please join me in rising and give Jen Brinkman the standing ovation she deserves. <laughs> Stand up, you two. Also, also, also involved in that. Uh, we have uh, Dak Ultimac. Uh, he did some. He did editing work on it. Matt Hildebrand uh, and uh, Lester B. Portley, who they helped lay out everything together. Um, you may notice I've kind of rattled off a lot of names, but some names, there's a pair of names which are probably some of you are saying, are you going to thank these guys or are you just going to forget about them? Um, but uh, so. Um, when we, there are two other people, uh, one of them who was here and one of whom was probably off uh, coordinating Meet Planet Punjar 5000 Catastrophe Island, you know, whatever's going on this year. 
Um, but uh, Fafford and the Great Mouser only had, you know, each other. They only had, you know, two partners in crime. And I was lucky enough to be have a trio of people in crime here. And we would meet late at night, like in the back alley, like in the back room of the Silver Eel, planning to take down the thieves' house. We had a secret group on Google+. Plus. <laughs> and there, Harley Stroh and uh, Doug Kovacs and myself, we would discuss Naewon and Lankmar, and we would discuss these stories. We would talk everything about architecture. We would talk about, like, spell stipulations. We would talk about, we would talk, we would, like, scan things. It's like, what are we going to do? Not this. This sucks. We, you know, this is terrible. Just don't, don't even do this whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, so uh, Harley... Uh, as the as my other partner, Crime Rescue, Harley, would you please stand and get <laughs> together? Allow, allow me, allow me to personally thank you for not taking the lead on this one and you know, <laughs> <laughs> giving giving me the opportunity to make a, a dream come true and actually contribute my own small way to uh, to the Fritz Library Canon in role playing. Um, so. Thank you for that. Uh, if anybody is wondering, that group, uh, of course, is no that that secret group is no longer in existence thanks to Google Plus. Thank you, Google Plus. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Um, I think I should probably thank you. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're over time. <laughs> we got two hours. Man. You know, I'm feeling well. I'm just. I'm waiting, good, I'm waiting for the ghost of Gygax since he's you know, he's coordinating on the next one. Or, oh no, something. Sorry, no. Um, no. Uh, uh, the, this all started. I got an email which was just a picture of a you know a license. It was just like the like the header of it from like the Fritz Library Estate. Like that was it. Just this material. Like does that mean what I think it means? And yeah, sure enough, it did. Yeah. And you were also uh, you were also you were also kind of like over overlord Pujar, you know, the, or Puba on this as well. Well, you done good. Yep, and you wanted yeah. pa you wanted patron dice too. So the patron dice is his idea. He's like, I want dice to do something. I've been trying to figure out how to do it. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it works. <laughs> um, um, yeah, we want um, the. I, I would say is that uh, you know one of the things that we discussed in the uh, in the, the the Google Plus group is going into this. We said that we want this to be as good as Lankmar City Adventure. The first edition AD and D with the Parkinson cover and everything like that. Like that was our benchmark. That if we hit that, um, you know, we will consider we have succeeded on that. I believe we have hit that goal. I'm going to leave it up to you if we've exceeded that goal. I hope we have, but you know, I'm I'm not going to take I'm not going to take the I'm not I, I'm not full of hubris. You know, I'm just I'm just happy that people enjoyed it. Of course, um, there we wouldn't be here without um, two very special people who are no longer with us, and those people, of course, are Fritz Leiber and Harry Otto Fisher. So, gentlemen, wherever you are, thank you very much for allowing me to fill a lifetime dream, and I'm sure thank you, and we all thank you as well. So, thanks, 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 <laughs> and that's it. That's all I got. That's, that's all you got. That's perfect. We ran out of time, right? Yeah. No, that was really good, Mike. Okay. Yeah. Right. Cool. I got nothing else. You guys got any questions? Nothing else. What do you mean nothing else? Well, there's more to the seminar, but not more to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> is there any more like more coming out? Well, yeah, but this is such a good moment. Let's cherish the moment. <laughs> uh, okay, so we'll talk about the other like Mark. Okay. No, so, well, there is more like Mark coming out. So since we're prompted, do you want to tell them about that thing coming out for Christmas? The thing, the, the thing coming out, yes. Very yes. like Mark Christmas. No, that's not the title. Bob's <laughs> <laughs> um, getting hit over the head by him now. Like, waking up the next day. Uh, actually, yeah, uh, this year's holiday adventure is going to be a Lankmar-themed one. Uh, it's Unholy Nights in Lankmar. 
uh, where a, a bunch of kind of mysterious deaths are occurring around the city of Lankmar, and uh, you kind of get sucked into this events, and it's it's interesting. It's we're, we're playing a lot of things. This uh, there's uh, there is of course the dungeon crawl you know aspect of it. You know, go into a room and see what's in there. But there's also some kind of uh, you know some mysteries to be solved and clues to be followed and what so have it. So you know, one of the uh, one of the, the benefits of playing in a city setting and like an urban crawl is you can do more than just kind of go down to you know. Uh, you know, they open up every shop. It's not Hamlet. It's like, oh, what's what's in this building? How much treasure they got in here? Let's kill this guy. You know, so. Um, so yeah, so I don't want to give away too much of that. Except you know, um, if if you've read some of uh, of, of Niwan, you know that um, you know that you know that there are people from other worlds who kindly visit um, visit Niwan, and you know, maybe a big fat guy in a big red suit jumping from rooftop to rooftop. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And there's, you know, we're talking about maybe more Langmar stuff after that. So some details to be worked out, um, but we'll see where that goes. Yeah. So it's all up to you guys. So, um, so if Jan hasn't already sold you three box sets, uh, please stop by, <laughs> stop by the booth and buy them. All right. <laughs> okay. Any other questions you guys have? But you need to stay up here for the next part about 5D. Okay. I will right. remain here. Yes. I do. We're still going to give him a round of applause because that was great. <laughs> So now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, Chris and Tim, are you guys there? Can you join us? We're going to talk about some fifth edition stuff. <laughs> so for those who don't know, this is Chris Doyle and Tim Wedzinski. Chris is uh, the, uh, I guess, lead author on all of the fifth edition projects. Um, and Tim. <laughs> nice shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then Tim is the lead editor on. Uh, <laughs> so we had to give Chris some feedback <laughs> because when you wear a brown shirt in one of these seminars, you kind of like blend in, and then when you do the green screen stuff, you know, it takes over your whole torso. So good job not wearing a brown shirt. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so and Tim is our lead editor. So we're going to talk a little bit about some fifth edition stuff. Um, as you guys may have know, we have a couple of fifth edition products out that are licensed from Wizards of the Coast to do sort of classic reprints, um, and then 5e conversions of Into the Borderlands, which is out, Isle of Dread, which is out. You wrote, ex or didn't, you didn't write, you converted Expedition of the I wrote this great module of lasers, um, which is coming out shortly. Um, we could talk a little bit about those. Um, first, if you're a retailer out there frustrated at your inability to get these products, that's because customers keep buying them. So Barrier Peaks is finally back in print as of about a week ago. Um, it will be shipping back to stores uh, basically next week. And then uh, Isle of Dread is uh, on the way here and should be available to retailers again in about a month. So it is coming back and we'll be here soon. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit because this is actually kind of an interesting challenge for audience guys because you have, you know, you're entrusted to take this adventure that everybody knows and somehow um, bring it to life in a way that feels like the original work by somebody with a famous name starting with a G. You know, and sometimes other famous themes without, with, you know, it's a weird task to, to write in somebody else's world and not leave any of your own uh, creative marks upon it, but let it come across as that author, even though uh, you have to take it and convert it and add a lot, because there's a lot more fleshing out that goes into a 5e module than a 1e module. Um, so I wanted to talk to you guys first about that process, and, and maybe Chris, when you talked about, you know, Isle of Dread, how did you, uh, how did you bring that to life without it making it feel like Chris Doyle as opposed to the original module? 
Um, a lot of it really starts with uh, the inspiration, um, and the first inspiration is obviously the original module, um, and taking those pieces and kind of keeping it within that framework, keeping the tone the same. That's a, a big thing that we talk about with this product line is we really, we're trying not to change the words. We're trying not to change Gygax words or, or Moldbay's words. Um, we're really trying to keep it, you know, very close to the original classic feel to it. Um, so it, it's, it's keeping the tone right. And then, but looking at this, because all those original modules, what made them so great was just those little tidbits of, of this is where the story could go. This is where, you know, we're not going to tell you, you know, we're going to hint at it. We're not going to give it to you. We're not going to map it all out, but we're going to give you that framework. And then it's, 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 then it's anybody's responsibility to go and run with that. Um, and that's, what's great about role-playing games and, and, and being a game master, you can take that little tidbit and you can run with it. Um, so that's the, that's the, the, the core of it. And the fascinating part, we're just, you know, a lot of people don't have time to go and run with it and fully divide, you know, develop a plot and, and flesh it all out. So we've done that for you, but it's really more of an example of this is one way you can take it. And, you know, but it's not the only way, but this is the way that we've kind of chosen to show. So, so that's, that's the first big part. Like with Aladred, what was, what were some of your favorite, you know, loose threads that you could expand upon? Or? Oh, it was just, there, there was a, there was a great, I mean, it was an island with dinosaurs, who doesn't love that? Um, and then there was a dungeon, and then there was a hint of some kind of plot of a great, you know, fallen race of humanoids that were possibly from the stars, um, but, you know, eh, you figure out the rest of it kind of thing. So that was the, the fascinating part of it, of, of taking that little thread and then running with it. Um, and fleshing it out, um, and that's where I think we, uh, I had the most fun with that, and then, you know, it, it's, it, sometimes it gets difficult, though, it's sometimes it's hard to, you know, all right, stop, enough, enough, we've, we've, we've developed it enough, it's like, now we're, we're good, you know, let's go for, but then you're like, oh, but there's just one little more part we want to add, we want to make this little part, and I'm like, oh, I can't do this, and then not do that, and so, uh, you know, and, and it's, and it's, and the, and then the fun parts of the, taking some of the original uh, monsters and spells and then bring them up to date for 5e. Most of the new monsters that we have um, are, are all old monsters that people are familiar with that just haven't been statted up for 5e yet. Um, so that's a fascinating part of it. And, and if you notice, the, the appendix of uh, Isle of Dread is huge when it comes to new monsters, thanks to the dinosaurs and the, uh, the other uh, uh, critters that were uh, on the island. So um, uh, we just went kind of crazy with that. I mean, who doesn't love dinosaurs? I mean, dinosaurs are I, fun. I, I would guess the people who live on the island with dinosaurs aren't crazy about that. Yeah, I don't know. They, they, yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Get eaten by them. <laughs> so, Mike, you had to convert Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. It did. Tell us about that. Oh, my God. All right, so, yeah, it was it was amazing how tight a module this was. I mean, that was kind of interesting going into it. I mean, it was designed for, for a tournament. So you kind of you go like oh look mysterious mysterious metal cave and you go in there and four hours later hey get the hell out here's a boule for your trouble you know I mean so there was <laughs> there wasn't a lot to kind of hold on to that and again it's it's all about finding that little that little part that little hook and everything and um, so the uh, the idea that there's kind of you kind of the, which works for uh, 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 a, a convention game is you know mysterious raiders are sacking towns and forts and stuff like that and then you get there you kind of read the module and it's like there's nothing really about who's doing all that. You know, I mean, I assume that it's maybe it's the things which are breaking out, but this seems more organized. So that was kind of a, my, aha, maybe there is something behind this. So that was kind of the, um, the, the, the hook that allows you, all right, let's kind of put a big bad in here and, you know, and kind of add up and the whole, add a whole another big bad level and the rest of that. So uh, that, that was, that was, uh, that was kind of the, what, once you crack that code, you're, that, that's good. You, you just need that first point of purchase, like climbing any mountain. 
you know, you have to go find that, book, that first word step. And uh, that was the case with, uh, with uh, uh, Expedition to Barrow Peaks. What was kind of the most interesting thing you had to convert, like a you know, creature? Or... Well, there was a lot of robots. That was, uh, that was very <laughs> um, But there was, there was one, I'm going through that, I'm like pulling, we're pulling every book off the shelf and everything. Like that. I sent an email to Mike Merles, Mike Merles, and I was like, Shidu? Have we, have, they, have you guys done Shidu? You know, giant headed, psionic lion, the horse things. And he's like, no. I'm like, okay, guess I'm doing Shidu. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> What about you, Chris? What's your favorite or um, most challenging conversion item? Th there's a lot of moments like that. And then there's the moments when you go and you stat the monster out, and then the latest Wizards of the Coast book comes out, and guess what they decided to do? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, uh-oh, giant crayfish are now in a official book and it's like all right so now we have to go like redo it and i look and i say wow i wasn't really close to what they were thinking so uh but yeah but the one story i think that i want tim to touch on is the uh the amulet from um from borderlands um uh there was too many emails and a couple of phone calls and text messages more about one magic item conversion than you ever want to hear about probably well, let's hear about it. Well, I think it was the amulet in, in the original, it was the amulet of protection from evil, right? Well, in 5th edition, they got rid of the spell protection from evil. It's now protection from evil and good. So we just had to debate that a little bit and rework uh, the encounter where those were mentioned just because we really wanted them to be amulets of protection from evil like in the original spirit. But obviously, you know, Chris figured it out and they work out great. So, but uh, yeah, at first we're like, oh, wait a minute, they changed that spell. Like, uh-oh. Yeah, it's one of those things where when you're actually doing the design work, you almost like gloss over it and you're like, oh, you know, what a big deal. And then the editor comes calling or texting or emailing or all three um, showing up on, on the same day, on the same day. Um, and, and it's like, uh, we have a problem here. And I'm like, oh, what's that problem? And it's like, and then he really makes you think about it a little bit more. And you're like, wow, yeah, wow, that really doesn't work, does it? And it's like, back to the drawing board. You know, it's like, but I'm kind of working on something else right now. And then it's like, get back into that one. So, um, but yeah, so that was probably the, one of the more interesting uh, dilemmas we had when we were it's, it, it's hard to get, like, you know, forget 30, 40 years of, you know, game mechanics that have been hardwired into you through, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, protection from evil. Everybody knows what that does. And then yep. you're protection from good and evil. What is that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, totally get that. It sounds like a way to save word count. Is what right. <laughs> those, those fools. Give them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, you've done an amazing job of catching all those discrepancies. And what, what blew my mind is Tim is now catching discrepancies in the original TSR modules. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about your... <laughs> I guess these are posthumous edits. Tell us about some of the stuff you found in Barrier Peaks, which was one of the most interesting ones to me. Well, that one, there's so many maps in that one with the spaceships, and they're quite intricate, right? And so when I get one of these to go through, I take the manuscript and the draft maps that they have, and then I'll take my original copies that I still have sitting on my shelf, and then I'll get a PDF. And I like to look at all of them just to, just to see how they play together. And with Barrier Peaks in particular, there were a couple of levels on the spaceship where I was just counting squares because something just seemed funny to me with uh, a, the way the lake was referenced. And that led to the level above it because there's trapdoors connecting things, and then I realized the elevators weren't in the same spots on all, on all the maps. So they were supposed to be vertical shafts, but they were that and so I contacted Joseph about that and he's like wait because he thought I was talking about the new maps because we have somebody redraw for 5e you know that yeah I thought, I thought that's what you meant and but. then he's like, wait no you found a discrepancy on the original like all caps original maps you know I, said, I think I did you know, you know so 
quadruple checked it and I pencil marked everything. And, and then it was cool uh, for Barrier Peaks. I was able to interview Diesel LaForce, who did the cartography for those maps. So 40 years later, the editor comes calling. Yeah. <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> You're fired, LaForce. You'll <laughs> never work again. <laughs> so, you know, that was really cool about it, first of all. But, you know, that was an interesting conversation to have with the guy who drew the maps back then. And he goes, yeah, I probably just made a mistake. <laughs> so, but uh, one of them we left in its original um, mistaken placement, but everything else we tried to touch up so things lined up properly. But it, yeah, it was kind of an eye-opener. Tim has an uncanny eye, like a sixth sense for detecting these discrepancies. It's kind of incredible. So, so Chris and I probably drive him bonkers. <laughs> it's probably nice to just sit there. All time Joy and Curtis, you know. <laughs> So you guys have done an amazing job with uh, bringing all the classic TSR modules to life. And it's been a lot of fun, you know, getting copies of the first printing and the second printing and the third printing, you know, and comparing all the printings of the old TSR modules because they did change things. Like in Barrier Peaks, they swapped out several pieces of the art. If you look through the handout, plus renumbered it. And the renumbering, I think, was a correction of an error. But the, the changing out the art, there's no clear reason as to why. So we talked to, at least I talked to Errol Otis, and, you know, he doesn't really have any re recollection as to why they swapped out his art. Um, but they just did. So it's neat seeing the evolution of these over time. And it's kind of amazing that it takes us three to 400 pages to convert what was at the time a 16 to 20 page adventure module. Like to your point, it's amazing how tight and concise those original adventures were. And we do provide a lot more detail these days and give a little more instruction to the DM, but it's that, been I, That's one of the challenges because, you know, the, the game playing experience has changed, you know, between when these modules were written. I mean, I had, in Barrier Peaks, I had to put in a sidebar because, I mean, if you're, if you're relatively new to D&D, &D, you're kind of expected, you know, you know, uh, you know, compact dungeons. And if you're like, oh, we'll just go into every room, we'll see what's in there and everything. If you do that on the first level of, of Expedition to Barrier Peaks, there are like, literally like, like 150 rooms and, and 120 of those are just like the room is empty except for some skeletons and some junk and literally you were just you know so I had to put in this like to avoid yourself being killed by your players this is a way to hand wave you know the exploration <laughs> progress you know. so we're going to tell you about the next one now so we have sort of an ongoing agreement with Wizards of the Coast there's going to be a lot of these over time and just some debate as to which one we should do next and so on and of course they have the ones they want to do so we kind of work it out but uh, we have one that we want to do that which you know, we've done, what we've done so far is what I call some of the big names and spotlights, and now we're doing one that's a little less of a big name, but just a lot of fun, and it's actually one of Mike Merles' personal favorite adventures, so he's really excited about it. Um, Mike, do you mind uh, being banned yeah. for a minute and yeah. flipping over a couple of those posters? Sure. So, it's the third poster in, I think. So, I, already, I, already, I already know what the Oh, wait, it's that one. It's the last yeah. one. There you go. Yeah. There you go. D&D, &D, The Lost City. Woo! So, yay! <laughs> So um, Barrier Peaks is at the printer and should be uh, in print by December. And then, uh, you know, Chris here has already converted the Lost City. Maybe tell them a little about this fine module. Done. Um, so yeah, this one's a little bit off the beaten path, but if uh, anybody familiar with this module, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Look at that. <laughs> awesome. So you know this one is ripe 
for additional material, and that's being an understatement right there. Um, because the whole lower part of the pyramid was not, it was just like an outline of like, here's the room name. What was interesting is they gave you the title of the room, that little snippet right there of what the room was supposed to be, and then they gave you the monster and the treasure. And I'm telling you, man, a lot of these did not make sense why there were three blink dogs in one room, and then there was a vampire in the next room. <laughs> so, um, so it was awesome to be able to do the regular conversion on the upper level, and then that lower level of the pyramid, um, I got to flesh that out entirely, just like the upper level, including you know read aloud text and everything, and then trying to figure out how all those monsters work together. Um, and a couple of times, it, it was impossible. I mean, there was there was no way. It's like I felt like I was like, yeah, okay, I can't use summon monster again. You know, it's just like it's just not going to work. So. Um, but I did try to kind of make it all cohesive. I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of um, dungeon ecology and like why things are in places where they are within reason. Um, so that was a challenging part of that. But then after I got past that, uh, being able to actually flesh out the Lost City, which I think was a half a page in the original module, um, there's a lot more detail now, including maps. Um, and in all the catacombs, the, the, there's, there's five sets of caverns of catacombs underneath the Lost City. And I'm like, well, I could just do one or two of them, but then, you know, then I'll get all sorts of negative feedback. Well, why didn't you just do all of them? So we did all of them. Um, and then we did the Goblin Caves, too. So uh, so there is a lot, a lot of which, I mean, you could easily, your characters could probably be 10th, 11th, 12th level by the time they're done with this. It is really a, a, a sandbox um, in, in a book, um, and it'll probably be a pretty thick book. Um, and should keep your guys uh, very, very busy um, over time. And there's a lot of interesting twists and turns in there. So um, it was it was a really, really fun one to do. So although not maybe mainstream some from some of the other modules out there, it was just it was an absolute um, a joy to actually convert that one. So it's like a, like a real mega dungeon now. It's it like, kind of is. Yeah. It kind of is. Yeah, there was 100 uh, encounter areas just in the pyramid. And then, yeah, I didn't actually count how many more there is. But there's, yeah, it's probably at least another 100 more. Right. So probably even more than that. Cool. So. Do you guys have any questions? Sounds like a lot of you guys have played this and enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah, so some of the stuff we're going to do is going to be a, a question, sir. Oh, oh God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I, that was one of my favorites when I was a kid, but I came through it and run it. Um, I don't remember the name of the creature in the very, very, very bottom part, like Zardon. 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 How nasty is he now? Oh, he's he's fairly nasty. Um, he's not really a god. He was like godlike, so he's just a really tough, big bad monster. And uh, you know, got to you know really play around with a lot of the f the fifth edition uh, rules with lair actions um, and legendary actions with him, which was which was awesome. Uh, yeah, he's just he's just a big fight. Um, actually, he's he is the big bad, but there is a lot more that goes on underneath, even lower. Um, so, and, and it is all kind of interrelated to him, so I won't spoil anything on that, but yeah, he's, he's pretty bad. I mean, you probably got to be 10th to 12th level to probably take him. And if you actually just go right down through the rooms, you'll only be like sixth or seventh level probably. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get help with all the factions, you will probably be toast. In a lot of these, there's a lot of encounters where, um, you know, like, 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 uh, Michael talked about it, the reverse, but like in the original, like B2, you know, it's like, you know, you kick open the door and there's 17 orcs in your first level probably not going to go well um you know a, a modern game designer for 5e wouldn't do that but you know we kept it that way because hey let's teach them a lesson so <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a bad thing from time to time so yeah but there are ways there are ways you can go and get your butt kicked and then you'll know, be captured and then you know then there's a lot more opportunities down below to get yourself up to that level where then you can go and actually uh, deal with him so 
that was one of the big debates early on as to how you convert it. Do you keep the the imbalance of the original system, or do you convert the balance, so to speak? And for the most part, we err on the side of keeping that original. Yeah, the imbalance is still there. You know, you got blink dogs, which are like, you know, CR one, a quarter, and then you've got in the room next to it, you know, near it, you know, the vampire CR 12 or 15, whatever it is. So yeah, it's it's totally not going to fly, but. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. Do we have one more question? Yeah, uh, this might be getting a little too deep in the weeds, but every time I've, I've, I've run this module, about the time that the players find the cults and they find out about the hidden city, they're like, to hell with the rest of this pyramid. I want to go find out what's in the hidden city. And I, you know, I'm blaming a little bit of the fact that there, there is nothing in the hidden city in the, in the original module, but but my players have always like, they were like bypassing huge chunks of the pyramid and, and getting right past that into there. Did you do something to make the... lower half of the pyramid before you get to the undercity part uh, a little more tied into things or um i would say i tied in the the city and below the city more with with the whole zargon plot so yeah the 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 lower part of the pyramid is still very much the same and i did kind of make it kind of make sense a little bit from that dungeon ecology standpoint as best as i could because it was really hard um, and you'll see, you'll, you'll see some of the you'll see some of the, the techniques I kind of used on them to kind of make it all sort of make sense. Um, but no, I, I you very much so you could skip that whole part of the lower part of the pyramid and get down into the lost city, and you can keep yourself very busy down there and get yourself a lot of levels and then actually truly be ready to take on um, to take on the big baddie. And and what's great about Five uh, E has rules for factions, which is which plays right into it. Um, I mean, the first time I ever played this module, it was probably 83, 84, um, and that was, that was, this is how it used to go. Uh, listen at the door, kick the door open, roll for initiative, a die six, by the way, and you want to roll low. Yeah, yeah. How messed up is that? Um, uh, and, and then, and then attack. And I remember we got to the one room, I think it was room 11, or whatever it was, and that we kicked open the door. I think I, I think the die six was out of my hand, and then my game master was like, "They say hello," and I was like, "What? What do you mean they say hello?" It's like you know I'm ready to kill them, and it's like, "Well, they're people," and it, it was like mind blown. It was like, "Wow, this is role playing. Like you can do this." And and the the irony about that was, is yeah, we probably spent another hour just talking, and we'd never done that before, and and we we're like, "Wow, this is what a role playing game could be," um, and it was it was really a seminal moment and. And then, you know, what was fascinating to me was the guy who was running, and it was just one game master and me, he never game mastered again after that. And I think that's when I started becoming a game master. And then a few years after that, I got into the RPGA, and I mean, there was, you know, four-hour tournament sessions where you never picked up a die, um, and it was all just back and forth. And it was really kind of the, the, kind of the benchmark moment, in my opinion, where I, I kind of discovered there was so much more to the game than kicking open the door. I mean, we all love that. I mean, but, you know, there's more to that. And the factions just play into that beautifully. And the fact that 5e already has rules for factions, so that kind of tied in really nicely. And if you don't get the help of the factions, yeah, you're probably not going to make it. So, so it's, it's, it's a brilliant design of a module, and it really did export very well to 5e. That's awesome. Cool. Any other questions you guys have? What did we get again? Uh, hopefully Origins of next year. That's the goal.
We have a historical record of not meeting those goals. Because <laughs> once we get involved, somebody counts squares, and we have to go find Diesel and talk to him. So, uh, we'll see how it goes. But we're consistent in our inconsistency. That's true, very much so. Yeah, it'll be really good though when it finally comes out. So publishing hard, <laughs> <laughs> writing easy. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I want to ask one more person to join me. Harley Stroh, if you could come up for a minute. How's it going, Harley? Okay. <laughs> Good. They kick us out. Yeah, they lock the doors. We can't get up. Okay. <laughs> so I want to ask Harley about a couple things. Um, I heard you're running a tournament. I am. And it's going really well. That's awesome. Yeah. So you guys, the tournament process is very different from the... Uh, traditional adventure writing process. To quote Harley, I could have I could have written three adventure modules in the time it took me to do this. I was wondering, well, it, <laughs> I won't make fun, never mind. Uh, tell us, <laughs> no, you couldn't Harley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you could in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. But tell us about, you know, about that process, the sort of iterative and collaborative process yeah, of writing yeah, these tournaments yeah. and how that goes. Uh, so the uh, the past two years, we've, we've thrown a, a really wide net and solicited adventure encounters um, from a large group of authors. Yeah. And so, so, all right, let's just go through through like this year's adventure. Um, you, Mark, and I were walking back from breakfast at Gen Con last year. Together we came up with the idea of the three different rounds um, of what they'd look like for the adventure. And then, um, and then we got home and we, and, you know, once things dust, you know, shook out, we solicited authors for, um, for encounters gave them guidelines, um, authors pitched ideas back to us, and then from that, I, I selected the encounters that I thought would be a good fit for the tournament. Uh, we gave the authors the deadlines, they, they threw back ideas to us, or they wrote the encounters, and then since then, um, we've been working to slowly mold the, uh, these disparate encounters into a, a cohesive arc that can serve as the tournament. And, I, and one of the differences here is that traditionally an author writes an adventure, or maybe right. has a couple collaborators, right. but one of the principles behind the tournaments is that if you have a wider group focusing just on one room or maybe two rooms at a time, with somebody being the conductor of this orchestra, that you can get these, um, I guess, very thoughtful room designs that wouldn't necessarily, one person couldn't necessarily produce this in a reasonable amount of time. Right, know? yeah, whereas, um, you know, for an adventure module, and I, you know, an author pours all his thoughts into this big adventure, here we have an opportunity for authors to pour a lot of thought into just one or two encounters. Um, at the same time, it's, it's very much in, by necessity an egoless project because you may pour a lot of thought into that encounter, but by the time you know it's been received, it's been edited, then it's been molded into a larger into the larger adventure arc, it may not look a lot like like what you wrote initially. Um, you know, it's it's a iterative process. So like um, for instance, like Terry Olson, he uh, He's well known for writing these brilliant. Uh, he's he's the puzzle guy. Right? He's the puzzle guy. <laughs> he's our puzzle master, and so um, and so 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 Terry, he, you know, for the for the for the for the, we can't give it away because we're actually going to be playing it out tomorrow. And, and tell us what happens in round three. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'll tell you what goes on in round one. But um, but Terry wrote this brilliant brilliant puzzle. It was it was well suited to Lankmar and it was really well suited to gamers. Which is just, that's the beautiful marriage. Like, at that point, like, oh, this is brilliant. And I came back to Terry, and I'm like, Terry, can you do some, the same sort of thing for me for round three? And then we'll, we'll litter, litter clue, but make it really hard, right? 
And, and Terry's like, oh yeah, I can make it hard. <laughs> and Terry wrote this this mind-bending puzzle for round three, but we had a couple clues, and so we were going to leave them, you know, one in round two and one in round and one in round one. And if the players are paying a lot of attention, they're going to discover these clues. So that by the time they got to this impossible puzzle for round three, uh, they, you know, if they'd done really well, they'd be able to solve it. But then we go to playtest, right? And it's and Mark's playtesting at GaryCon, and we we have um, the entire round laid out. Terry's is the second encounter, and they can't get past it. <laughs> we didn't have to play test the rest of the adventure because nobody got past Terry's first round. <laughs> and so, but that's the iterative process. And so then we have to go back to Terry and say, "All right, Terry, you, your easy puzzle stumped our our, our judges. Like, we need to make this a little bit easier." <laughs> um, you know, and, and Jeff Goad you know, had a really insightful moment. He said, "Well, you know, everyone thinks the puzzle is easy, either too hard because they can't solve it, or too easy because it came to them really easily." But um, but I think Terry, you know, through that those three passes, you know, stuck this perfect balance where, you know, some of our teams get it really easily, some struggle with it, and some never get it, and then that's that's really that balance that you're looking for in the tournament, and it's I think finally it feels like you know year three of the DCC tournaments we've hit that, we've had groups that have made it out of round one successfully, we have groups at TBK'd, and we have a small group that's right in the middle. That's awesome. It is actually, yeah, it's working. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. And the tournament experience is pretty stressful and very different from a, you know, everyday <sighs> adventures, I would say. It's amazing. Like, like, like some of the finest judges I know, you know, we have, we have, we have Haley Sketch, we have Terry, we have Tim DeShane, we have Eric Dom, Mark, um, Mike Bolum, uh, Aaron Cole. Anyways, like collectively they have hundreds of years of, of gaming underneath their belt. <laughs> And they're still stressed. <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the doom gong rolls, you know, and it's and it's on, right? And 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 this is after you know they they've play tested, they ran the adventure, and then we met, um, you know, the, the, for four hours at, at Sketch's place to go over the over the round, and then you know even in in the moment, you know, we're all conferring, you know, against one another, making sure that we have standardized, you know, results because DCC. Res- you know, reject standardization. So, you know, um, Terry's going to hit one encounter. And Terry wrote the encounter, and he's going to come to me and say, Harley, how are we going to rule this? And so and all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the pit boss is going to know, okay, all right, this is what we decided. This is how we're going to rule it. And so when Haley comes and is like, all right, Harley, I have 25 polar bears walking down the road. What, what are we going to do about this? There was an, a summoned animal that went horribly awry. <laughs> it's not in the adventure, but when you, when you have fleeting luck and you can burn, spell burn, and you get a max on summoned animal, it sucks. And it's just like, oh, there's 25 polar bears and Lankmar, sweet. <laughs> literary literary Lankmar. Um, but, but, um, but, you know, so even, even these finest judges are, you know, they, 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 they put in the pre-work. We, we, we put in the, the homework the night before. I mean... You know, we'll be meeting again tomorrow night for, for round three. Um, yeah, and, and and it comes off, and in the moment, the players have a wonderful time. Everyone, you know, uh, both sketches TPK'd their parties, and they had a great time. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and then the tournament comes off. It's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. So something else you've been working, or I guess worked on, was DCC number 100. Yes, sir. And uh, this was the art I forgot to bring. So if, if you go to Doug's booth, the cover art for DCC number 100 is done. Um, we talked about it before. The name of it is uh, The Music of the Spheres is Chaos, which is awesome. And if you look at Doug's booth, it's kind of in the upper left. It's got like this malump-looking guy who's kind of undead, snow, swirliness, 
dragons black. <laughs> It's really cool. Don't take a look. Um, anyway, it's, it's awesome. The cover art's done. Now Doug is working on the maps. Yes. This is one with five spinning maps, which is crazy. I, I'm not yet sure how we'll publish this. It'll probably be a box set or something. I don't know. It's basically a board game, an RPG format. I really can't figure out how to package it properly. But anyway, it's awesome. Doug's working on the maps. Once he's done the maps, then we'll sort of pass it on to, to Jen for editing and sort of you know go through that process. Um, but tell us about this adventure. I mean, you've talked about it before, but tell us about this, sort of the process of it coming to life and what it's about and all this cool well, stuff. Well, we, so for DC 100, we wanted to go big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so to, to, to make an adventure that has cinematic visuals so that you know there's, there's, there's possibility for lots of handouts and incorporated puzzle handouts that you've been hitting at me for like years like Harley we have to do it like this magazine you can't see the magazine or it gives away the, the handout um, and so just just the opportunity to, to pack as much raw DCC adventure into a into a you know a single module as possible where um, yeah we just you know there should be no small adventures and this is a big adventure uh, the, uh, the, the there's the opportunity for the PCs to transform the, the, the entire universe through through their actions within here, no, that's cool, right? Like, like Tower of the Black Pearl, right? Like, the, all the all the candles go out. There's no more heroes in the world. Like, whoa, we just played a first level adventure, and now everything's changed. Um, and this is kind of in that same vein, where where it, it, it it's it's what you want. Imagine what you wanted. You want adventures to be meaningful, and and, and this is this is in that in that cool. vein. So it'll take a while to get this one done. So there'll be a brief pause in the DCC line. For you know, one hundred has to happen before one hundred one, which is how this works. <laughs> Years ago, I printed a DM screen, which was, I forget the exact number, but it was number 37 or 38 in the DCC line, and it's the first DM screen I printed. I sent it to the printer to do a DM screen, and they had all these production problems because they'd never done one. Anyway, I had like the next three modules like queued up, and I was like, I can't print any of these because they're sequentially numbered until this one is done. So luckily, I learned that lesson a long ago, and now I know it's going to be like a year pause for us to get 100 done before 101 can come out, but... It'll be worth it. Like yeah, it's going to be an awesome adventure, and it's going to it's going to really be worth being number one hundred. I think. I hope so. Thank you. Yeah. Thank goodness for the decimal system. You'll see. Like, <laughs> DCC ninety nine point one two. But thanks for the chance to write it. I mean, that comes along once in a lifetime. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Then one other thing to talk about is the Goodman Games Gazette. Yeah. So you guys know we do this as kind of a house rag. It's always been. Um, I don't even know what to call it, just stuff we're thinking about or cool photographs or random articles, things like that. And um, Dak Ultimac did that for the first couple of years, but we have handed the torch to Harley. Mm -hmm. And you're, you've sort of finished up a couple that are in process, but now just tell us your thoughts on evolving this format and this, this whatever you want to call it, you know, fanzine, news mag. Pulse yeah, well, it, it, it's, 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 it's sort of, I mean, it's not the gong farmer grown up, but, you know, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, but it's, it's, it's this opportunity to, to, to kind of, you know, see behind the curtain at, at, at Goodman Games to get to know the DCC family. I mean, you guys are amazing. We have we have the best fans anywhere, so the, you know, the, the fans, family. So the opportunity to, uh, to to share some, you know, some insights from Goodman Games with them, also to share, you know, cool content from the, from the road crew, um, to really build up to a DCC day, babe, which, yeah. And, um, and, and, and really kind of integrate the different lines in a way that, um, that, that that is that is meaningful and at the same time has a lot of content that is that's fun to read. You know, it, it's 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 
you know, as, as, as we're all focused, you know, really hard on, on getting these adventures done, there's all this, this cool drama ha happening on the side, getting to meet road crew people, having cool stories from, uh, from conventions. And so to kind of collect that, that stuff that's on the sides, it's not just gaming material. And this is an opportunity for that. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Cool. Any questions you guys have of Harlan? Personal or professional? <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I forgot to mention you. I'm remiss. Jim was also one of, a great tournament judge and is one of the reasons that round one went off so well. So sorry about that, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. The fans seem to really love Jim's maps for <clears throat> the tournament. So let's, yeah. So, is there a future in that for future Goodman Games products, maybe, or how can we do something? Yeah, I, I you know I can't speak for Joseph, but I know one of the one of the big critiques that we always hear about our maps is that oh Doug's map is beautiful, why can't I see this on the paper somewhere? And so you know like I can't share this with my players. Um, even you were saying you know with with music of the spheres, like well Harley, it's cool that the judge gets four spinny bits, but what about everybody else? There's eight other people at the table. <laughs> um, and so, um, uh, for those that didn't see the tournament, Jim was able to provide us with these 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 amazing map bits that, like, I don't know, they're they're some weird alien technology where you slap them on any substance and they stick, and you can draw on them and spill your, spill your coke on them. And there were aliens called color forms. Oh, they came yeah. to Earth and gave us this technology. Oh, no, you say that out of ignorance. I swear. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, so and, and for those of you who don't see yeah. Jim Scatch sitting in the audience here, you should talk to him afterwards. Yeah. But it is a project he's working on that will probably end up as a DCC third-party project of some kind. I don't know. Yeah, chance and, to see uh, the maps made live. Yeah. Yep, and it's kind of a. Do you want to come up here and describe it as long as we're talking? I can give my version oh, of it, but it sure. involves like maps and. I'd love to hear your version of it. Uh, <laughs> Colorful. <laughs> uh, they actually are going to be called, probably the product name will be called Dungeon Forms because part of the idea was uh, driven by, uh, some of us are old enough to remember color forms as kids. Um, they were these pieces of plastic that you could put down on a very specific board and you could move the shapes around and make things out of it. Um, it always bugged me that uh, as a DM, uh, now a judge, um, how maps are done at the tables, uh, the biggest inspiration was Doug's artwork. Uh, at my home group, they're fairly new players except for Haley, and they asked to see one of the maps afterwards, and I showed them Doug's map of Portal Under the Stars, and their comment was, it's a real shame the players can't see this at the table. So I took an idea I'd been working on for a long time with this color form thing, and I married it up with the idea of this great artwork, and the goal is that you will be able to have these, think of them as dungeon tiles, except they're uh, anti-slip on the back. And the paper on the top is uh, an alien technology. Uh, you can, it's water resistant, you can dry erase, wet erase. And when you're done, you can just take the piece off the table and put it back in its storage where it came from. Uh, the beauty being that you can do fog of war with a map on the table with great artwork all at the same time in a fast way for a DM. So you don't have to worry about uh, how you're going to draw maps on tables anymore. Well, and when so you bump it, it doesn't, it doesn't move. It doesn't move. Uh, 
the, the, the tiles that you see now that are cardboard, you know when you put them out on the table, everybody has to be really careful if they're going to put their mini on it uh, because you never know when you're going to shift the tiles around. Uh, all of that goes away. Everything is uh, one inch gridded, so you can do your, your mini battles if you want as opposed to theater of the mind. But the idea is to get that artwork as best we can out on the table in a way that people can actually enjoy it. And really the only drawback right now is that no one can get at Doug's time except this guy. <laughs> so that's the biggest drawback right now. But other than that, yeah, so we're hoping in the next three to six months to have something at the very latest uh, launch around GaryCon cool. next year. And they are really cool. They make the tournament, they facilitate the tournament play, but awesome. they facilitate the play of the new adventure right there. So. Awesome. Cool. That's it. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
bar, wherever you run your games. Um, and just give me your thoughts as they come because I'm interested in ways to kind of make this work. Um, I think that's all I have. Anything else you guys have or any other questions you want to ask? Well, yes, Michael Curtis. Yeah, I didn't see Matt. I didn't see you before when I was up there. Matt, uh, Matt was also part of the uh, DCC like Mark crew, so Matt, please stand up. And Matt, you got a shout out earlier, which you may have just missed, so you can watch the replay. Right. <laughs> cool. Any other questions you guys have or anything else to bring up? Cool. All right, well, thanks, everybody. That's it for today. Oh, last thing, please remember to bring your tickets up. I always forget that. <laughs> thanks. <laughs>